listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today, we're going to be talking about wealth preservation versus wealth creation. We're often talking on the podcast how to create wealth. And today's podcast, we have some great guests talking about single-tenant properties, which is much more of a wealth preservation uh, strategy and asset class. Something I'm very new to, eager to learn about. And I got my co-host and friend, Terrence Doyle, here today in the studio. Terrence, what's up? Chris, I'm super happy to be here. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been in the studio, so I'm just kind of trying to get my bearings here. I've uh, kind of shaken things up, but uh, yeah, no, it's great to be here. I got two of my newly formed friends in the Denver real estate game. We got Brandon and Zach from Blue West Capital, and a little background to set the stage because I really want them to to uh, to own the show today. But I was struggling with a deal in Denver. It was formerly an apartment building. Some things happened with the city of Denver. We're not going to go into too much detail there. The long and short of it is I was struggling to sell this building because it was not an apartment building. It was more of like a triple net, single tenant type deal. So I had hired a I had hired a brokerage to represent me. It did not go well. And I had quite a few dollars tied up into this deal. And so it was starting to like really irritate me. And I saw a LinkedIn post and this group had sold a another property that was similar to mine. And so I immediately sent a text on LinkedIn. Thank you, social media. And I think within two weeks, we had a listing agreement. Mm-hmm. And I think like 60 days after that, we had the property closed. And that was how this relationship started with Brandon and Zach. So Brandon and Zach, you guys are very near and dear to my heart because you guys helped me sell a very <laughs> difficult deal. I will forever be indebted to you guys. And I'm super glad that you guys are here. I can't wait for the audience to hear about your background, what you guys do. I think you guys are rising studs in the uh, single tenant game. And uh, so welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. That's quite the introduction. I guess uh, kudos to LinkedIn for uh, hooking us up. Uh, But yeah, uh, my name is Zach Wright, Brandon Gajewski. We have a company in Denver called Blue West Capital, and we sell single tenant net lease investment properties as well as some multi-tenant properties. But our focus is uh, primarily single tenant net lease. So let's start off with that. Like, what exactly is a single tenant net lease property? Because I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm much more on the single family, multifamily world. I have a vague understanding of what that type of property asset class is. But explain to me in the audience so we're all on the same page. So a single tenant net lease investment property is a freestanding building that's leased to one tenant. You probably see a lot of them when you're driving around town, whether that's a McDonald's and O'Reilly Auto Parts, Chick fil A, a Walmart. And it's one tenant who occupies the building and they are on a typically a triple net lease, meaning that the tenant is responsible for everything. So a lot of these, uh, you know, big tenants, big stores, they don't own the property. They're often just leasing it out is my understanding. That's correct. So some tenants own their own real estate or some retailers own their own real estate, but the overwhelming majority are simply just tenants. Um, so when you're driving down the street and you see a 7-Eleven or a Starbucks or a Sherwin-Williams, um, these uh, properties are owned by passive investors and they are leased typically on a long-term basis to the tenants. Um, and so it's a very popular asset class right now. And uh, yeah, that's what we focus on. So let's take a step back because we've thrown around some terms here that most of the audience, even myself, am not very familiar with, right? I come from the multifamily, single family world, right? You guys are much more commercial and you're throwing around terms like triple net, 
double net, all these, you know, some other things. So unpack, what does triple net actually mean? And to the owner, let's say like myself, someone that owns real estate, what is the net effect? What's the value in having a triple net versus a multifamily building that the owner's paying for the common utilities, the taxes, the insurance? So define triple net, and then let's talk to, let's bring it home to the owners out here. And what does that actually mean? So the single tenant net lease investment properties are attractive because they are triple net. The three N's stand for insurance, taxes, common area maintenance, maintenance to the building. So the tenant is responsible for all of that. So for an example of a multifamily building, if you have a roof leak, that's the landlord's responsibility. He's getting calls from the tenant. For a single tenant investment property, that is truly triple net. If there's a roof leak, the roof needs to be replaced. The parking lot needs to be resealed. That is the responsibility of the tenant, and they are not calling you as the landlord. They handle it directly. It's a very passive investment. We typically see people that are either trading out of multifamily properties, getting older in age, getting tired of the management intensive kind of asset, Mm -hmm. and looking for more passive income for a single tenant property that has a tenant on a long-term lease where there's no landlord responsibilities. And not all single tenant leases are the same. You know, to your question, there's triple net leases, there's double net leases, and they usually vary as to what the tenant does, what the landlord does, and how that relationship goes. But, um, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you might have an absolute triple net lease. In many cases, the tenant pays the property taxes directly. They maintain insurance directly. Any maintenance or repairs, replacement needed to the building, the tenant does. So it truly creates a mailbox money type of ownership where you receive a check once a month and that's the extent of your ownership. Um, so that's a triple net. That would be the, mm-hmm. yes. Give us some common examples that we see driving down you know, Broadway and so Colorado. Good examples of an absolute triple net lease would be like a Walgreens. Okay. Um, the, the tenant receives the property taxes on these leases. They pay it directly. They have the insurance. They, most cases, they maintain the building. Um, is there any scenario in a triple net lease? Cause I'm just thinking this sounds too good to be true, right? We get calls all the time with issues. That's all we hear about is issues. Right. And so what is there any scenario in under a triple net? So I own Walgreens. Is there any scenario where Walgreens corporate is calling me and saying, Hey, Terrence, we need you to go fix X, Y, Z. So there are leases that have some management responsibilities or maintenance responsibilities. Uh, maybe it's to the roof, maybe it's to the parking lot. Maybe it's to the HVAC. And in some cases, it depends on what the, the lease says and what the tenant is. Typically, tenants sign a kind of standardized lease. Right. And so wall, pretty much all Walgreens leases will look the same. All Got Dollar it. General leases will look the same, for example. Um, so we would call those more of a double net lease where there would be some sort of landlord responsibilities. Maybe it's to the roof if there's a roof replacement needed. Maybe you need to maintain a liability insurance certificate. Things like that might move it from an absolute triple net down the scale to a double net lease. Double net lease. But it's still an extremely yeah. passive lease. Typically on a new construction property, you'll have warranties for the roof, right. warranties for the HVAC. Um, so that kind of mitigates a landlord's financial responsibilities over time. So, so yeah, go ahead. I, say, I just want to make sure I understand for the double net lease, triple net is maintenance, taxes, insurance. Double net, what are we dropping out of there? Some maintenance. Some maintenance. There could be some maintenance that would be a landlord's responsibility to you know, some critical elements of the building. Maybe it's parking lot. Okay. Uh, maybe it's the roof. Maybe you know you manage snow removal and landscaping, but that's reimbursed. You know, there's more to it than just you know 
being on a beach and getting a check or, you know, an ACH hitting your account once a month. So with a true triple net, can I have that lease in place and have no property management company in place? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Double net. Do people, is that kind of, I, I would say the majority of the stuff that we're selling, you know, is, is new construction sometimes where okay. there are warranties in place. Uh, the, the truly triple net, there's no responsibilities for you. The double net, the tenant still pays the taxes, insurance, and everything. There's just a carve out sometimes where if the roof needs to be replaced or there's an issue with the foundation, that falls on the landlord. But we have clients who are based here in Denver and own these single tenant properties all over the country. Okay, so I'm starting to get, understand a little bit of value of just the peace of mind and simplicity and efficiency in owning a building where maybe I only get a call once a year versus once a week, right? So that makes a ton of sense. I see the value. Now, talk to us about how these things are priced. And, you know, because right now, you know, apartments are trading somewhere between, well, it depends, new construction, but somewhere between five and six caps, right? Most of Denver, Denver Metro, somewhere between five and six. Des Moines, Iowa, we're picking things up six to seven, sometimes seven and a half, right? So, but then we cover everything, taxes, insurance, and the maintenance. So much more active, like roll up your sleeves, get mm-hmm. to work every day. So talk to us, help help us understand the value, right? If I'm going to get something that's truly passive, what am I getting in terms of cash flow and a return profile? So the cap rates are going to be based upon several things. Um, the term of the lease, you know, we, we have short-term leases that trade at a higher cap rate. We have long-term leases that will trade at lower cap rates. So, you know, generally speaking, these deals will have anywhere from maybe two to 25 years of lease term in some cases. So the remaining lease term is a big factor in determining the property's value. Another factor is who's the tenant? What's their creditworthiness? So, you know, uh, our deal types range on a risk spectrum from, you know, uh, the top tier tenants, you know, perhaps it's a 7-Eleven um, investment grade rating to a maybe a mom and pop type of franchisee operating a Burger King. So, you know, the 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 pricing, the cap rate is based upon the credit. And then, of course, there's other factors based upon, you know, locations. You know, Denver will trade better than Iowa, for instance. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, for the top tier deals, they could be in the low fours, even sub four um, for a ground lease in California. Um, to a McDonald's, for instance. So let's talk about some of the top 10, like, you know, because I think these are brands we all know. So let's talk about some of the top companies in the country. So let's talk about Apple, Amazon, Starbucks, Nike, McDonald's, right? So are those considered, I mean, is there anything above that or are those considered like the top tier? Like if you have them as a tenant, that's as good as it gets. The top tier tenants would be those with very strong investment grade ratings from Standard & Poor's or Moody's, you know, these and tenants with the, or very large private companies like a Chick-fil-A. So typically speaking, the, the deals that are commanding the greatest premium mm-hmm. would be the likes of a Chick-fil-A ground lease, a McDonald's ground lease, a 7-Eleven. These types of very strong credit tenants uh, have the lowest cap rates. Hmm. Um, but and what are those then? So if McDonald's is going to sign a lease with me and I'm going to own the dirt there. What am I what am I looking at in terms of a, a cap rate or a return? Three Low, and a half, yeah. four. Three and a half percent. So if it's so let's say easy numbers, a million dollars. I put in a million dollars and they're going to pay me thirty five thousand a year for that lease. Or more. Yes, or more. But on the other end, you know, the cap rates could be anywhere up to probably seven um for deals with, you know, that aren't ground leases 
or that are in different markets outside of, you know, maybe California or Denver, um, things like that. Give me some examples. So if, if McDonald's and 7-Eleven are three and a half, four percent cap rates, which just means the return, right? The annualized return. So then what, talk to me about a six or a seven. What am I looking at? Who's the tenant? Paint me a picture of if I'm like, you know what, for me to trade out of this apartment complex where I'm getting six and a half percent on my money annually, I need to be at, you know, a seven. What, what am I looking at for a six to a seven in Colorado? What kind of tenant? Talk to me about the location. What does a deal like that look like? You're probably, well, one, I guess right now the market is, very limited with supply, mm-hmm. similar to probably other asset types, you know, maybe multifamily or uh, residential. Um, so right now, cap rates are at historic lows for single tenant properties. Um, so in Colorado right now, um, it being a very attractive place for investors, you know, you're looking at maybe more short term deals and maybe with five to 10 years left, um, maybe uh, franchisee type tenants, um, you know, but dollar stores, lube centers, things like that, you know, you can get in the sixes. So that makes sense. Like, I would say, like, the shorter the lease or the length of the lease and the quality of the tenants going to, you know, demand a higher cap rate because it's, it's, it's riskier. Mm-hmm. Now I'm trying to figure out like if it's a shorter lease and let's say it's a Jiffy Lube or a Walgreen, you know, I drive by those every single day. I think about great, I'm gonna hire a cap rate, but what happens when they move out or once their lease is up? You know, I imagine it's harder to get a tenant into a Jiffy Lube type location than it is to get into one of Terrence's apartment buildings for like, hey, I get filled this two bedroom, one bath. So how do you like how do you equate like the tenant placement or future tenant placement in that risk reward ratio? Like what happens that when when that turns over, you just find another tenant in that in that same profile? Yeah, I think you know that's a great question, and I think to take one step back, yeah, for like example, for a new Starbucks, you know the, these deals are trading in a finite range, whether that's you know four and a half to five cap for a brand new construction one. If you're an investor who wants to buy a seven cap Starbucks that's brand new construction, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you would have to buy one that had a shorter lease term, for example. And the reason the cap rate is higher is there's more inherent risk that the tenant only has four years left on the lease compared to a new construction one that has 10 years where somebody has that guaranteed income. Can you kind of quantify them? Is that like a point on a cap rate just as a real rough quantitative or do you not want to? You're saying it varies so much. Okay. There's just so many variables. Okay. But, but to your question, the tenants have renewal options. So on most, you know, you might have, they might have 20 to 30, even 40 years of renewal options after the initial term of the lease expires. So, you know, finding a Jiffy Lube or a Walgreens with a short-term lease, you know, it's important to start digging in a little bit deeper into the deal. What is the rental rate that they're paying and how is that relative to the rest of the market? Okay. Um, and, and that's kind of looking at the replaceability of that income stream. How is that rent relative to other Walgreens in the state of Colorado and Denver across the country, et cetera? And understanding, you know, is it, you know, lower than they typically pay above? And then also you could look into some sales information. It, you know, some tenants report their sales. So you have a good idea, you know, this Jiffy Lube's doing phenomenal. Um, and then there's other resources if they don't report sales that we could use. You know, there's a, a company called Placer.ai, and it tracks cell phone data and it compares cell phone data and number of visitors to a particular property compared to other Walgreens in the state, other Walgreens in the country. So you kind of get a, a general sense as to this is a strong performing store. Why would they leave? So you're not just underwriting the property; you're also underwriting the business as well. 
Absolutely. That's what just clicked with me on there. Okay, so you're looking at the 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 real estate itself, but also just what's the business model? And I guess you get P&Ls and tax returns from that tenant of all part of the due diligence or maybe, maybe yes not? Yes and no. It depends, okay. but usually not actually. So okay. usually we're relying upon, you know, looking at market data and understanding that this Walgreens is paying substantially less than other Walgreens in the state, in the city, wherever. Um, and understanding what that rent per foot is that they're paying compared to other properties surrounding it if you need to replace it. Um, and then looking at other metrics, trying to try to get an idea is this is a strong performing store. They're likely to stay here for the future. Okay. And, you know, I think so, some investors just at the end of the, the day look at, you know, who's backing the lease and how long is the lease. But I think some of the astute investors are looking long term you know, maybe I'm buying it as a Starbucks today, but what is that property going to be in 20 or 30 years if I hold this? Yeah. What's that look like? Like when you guys are underwriting deals and, you know, helping clients trade up or make their next step in their, you know, real estate plans, like how do you plan out 20 or 30 years? And what's that look like in your space? So I think Zach kind of hit on part of it, but I think a, a big part of it too, is what are the underlying real estate fundamentals? You know, is this property on a signalized intersection? Does it have good access? Does it have good visibility? What are the demographics? Is this a growing area of of town? You know, if this tenant ever left, you know, if it's mid-block or doesn't have good access, another national might not want to backfill it compared to if it's, you know, the best corner in town or has, you know, great traffic, it's on a good corner, you know, you could probably easily re-tenant that. So I think looking at the underlying real estate fundamentals, Zach hit on the, the rent level, um, you know, if the rent's super high and not replaceable, when the options come up, you know, you don't really have much leverage because you want to keep the tenant there compared to if you found a single tenant deal that maybe had at or below market rent, might not be the end of the world if they leave and it's good real estate where it could be a value add play for you where you're able to actually push the rent in the event they leave. Okay. And then, you know, I think digging down into the actual tenant, just because the sign says Burger King, it's probably not corporate. It's it's likely a franchisee. So going another layer deep to understand who is this tenant? Do they have five units or a hundred units? Uh, you know, what does their balance sheet look like? How much cash do they have? Are they expanding? Um, you know, I think if you can get the store sales or the store sales trending upwards, you know, have they increased the last three years or they dropped the last three years? Uh, I think is important to another layer to help evaluate some of these single tenant deals. Yeah, this is super fascinating. I mean, such a different asset class of what I'm used to talking about and underwriting. So I've, you know, really enjoyed getting to know you guys. And I think this is a really valuable conversation for the audience because uh, it's, you know, I think growing up in Des Moines, you know, you look at like Walgreens or Applebee's or Chick-fil-A or anything, you know, retail on a major intersection. You never understand that like an, an investor could own that. Mm-hmm. You just think, Oh, well, Apple owns their store, Chick-fil-A owns their store, right. 7-Eleven owns their store. You never understand that. Yep. Oh no, there's investors that own them and then just have a lease with a publicly traded company. So it's pretty amazing to understand how you know things work behind the curtain. So I love, I love this conversation. I think the audience is going to get a lot out of it. Help me understand, like, so COVID. So the last year and a half, two years, you know, how has this impacted your industry and this asset class? And and I'd love to hear about you know, who are the, who are the people buying this stuff and who are your clients and what are, what are those, what do they do? And what does that look like? Cause I know that the brokers I deal with on the multifamily side, it has to look completely different who they're working with versus 
groups that you guys are probably talking to on a daily basis. Okay. So COVID, um, you know, the single tenant space is remarkably resilient. There's long-term leases in place to very strong tenants. Um, so generally speaking, the space did phenomenal. Cap rates have compressed throughout COVID. There's many retailers that are performing better today than they ever did before. You know, is it Walmart? Is it Dollar General, Family Dollar, Walgreens? Um, so there's a lot of tenants doing very well. Um, and because of that, the space has performed very well. Of course, there's some single tenant tenants, um, gyms, movie theaters, some casual dining concepts that, you know, were hit very hard by COVID because of their inability to operate. Um, but generally speaking, most tenants in the single tenant space, dollar stores, drug stores, grocery stores, quick service restaurants, um, all perform very well. Um, and so cap rates have continued to compress. Uh, demand has been very strong. On the buy side of who we're typically working with, it's overwhelmingly 1031 exchangers. Um, and oftentimes these 1031 exchangers are switching asset classes and typically exiting management intensive properties and coming into the single tenant space. So, um, you know, we work a lot on the buy side with uh, multifamily investors that are um, looking to alleviate some headaches um, or set up retirement uh, or estate planning. Um, so that's a very big, uh, group of buyers in which we're working with on the 10th. So out of 10, I think that's a great, I mean, I think this is a really relevant, obviously to the audience and, you know, kind of what I do in my core, you know, businesses. So out of 10 clients that you have, how many would you say are multifamily owners in the past looking to get into something more passive? So I'd say if you just took an average sampling of 10 deals, um, I'd say about eight of those are being bought by 1031 exchange investors, perhaps even more. Um, on average. And I would say of that, maybe half are exiting multifamily. The wow. others are maybe coming out of shopping centers. Uh, perhaps it's land or farms. Um, it's actually a, a, a pretty big chunk, but I'd say about half of the exchanges are switching asset classes and coming out of multifamily. It's funny. Um, I'm actually working with um, a gentleman that sold a multifamily property in Texas. He's buying $4 stores right now in the Midwest. Um, and owns a number of multifamily properties currently. Um, and, you know, I think he's looking for ease of ownership and perhaps even a lifestyle change and, you know, less hands-on uh, management with his real estate. And we're under contract on these dollar store properties. And uh, we were talking about them yesterday and he had to, to run and scramble because the HVAC went out on his multifamily deal. And he's getting all these angry calls from his tenants and, you know, trying to one, you know, restore the the, the uh, air conditioning um, and heat and then uh, figure out, you know, how to compensate these folks. And so at the end of last week, when he was dealing with this, we couldn't really talk about the acquisition because it was all hands on deck, you know, to resolve this issue. And so I think that, you know, it is a big microcosm of what we deal with on the buy side of multifamily investors getting out of management intensive properties coming to passive properties, long-term leases, you know, high credit tenants, um, big chunk of our business. And this is something that when we first met, you know, a while back now, you really, in my mind, one of the things I took away on you framed it was, you know, a lot of the wealth preservation versus wealth creation. Sure. Obviously, you know, with, you know, multifamily residential through leverage, through value add, through the market appreciate, great wealth creation standpoint. But you frame the single tenant role as a great way to, 
not only have cash flow, but really preserve wealth. And you kind of identified, you know, some customer avatars for as people trade up. Can you go into more details on them? Because I found it very fascinating and kind of gets my brain thinking for, you know, 20 years down the road for myself. So I, I want to learn more about this. Like, how would you frame that on the wealth preservation versus wealth creation side? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the people who are buying these, you know, made a bunch of money in multifamily. Yeah. They're getting older. Maybe they have grandkids. They want to, you know, hit the golf course with parents or something and retire. <laughs> I'm a great golf. I'm so, a great golf outie. Given the, <laughs> the limited or zero landlord responsibilities, people are buying these. It's almost a bond market of real estate or people mm. who, um, you know, want to be in the real estate business, but either don't have the wherewithal or capacity to to manage a property. Uh, this is a very attractive, you know, investment for them where they're getting a property with a 10, 15, 20 year lease to a large company that has fixed, typically fixed rental increases every five to 10 years. Um, and they kind of don't have to do anything. The beauty of it is with the 1031 exchange, right? And the classic multifamily investment of starting, you know, with a fourplex and trading up into an eight and then a 12 and yep. maybe a 20 and so on up the ladder and, um, you know, through 1031 exchanges. And eventually you get to a point where, you know, maybe you're uh, looking for a lifestyle change or there's estate planning or retirement planning and you want something passive and easy and, and headache free, then you come see us. Um, and, and so, you know, you 1031 exchange and, and oftentimes um, the cash flow goes up and the management goes down and, you know, exposure to expenses uh, down the road is virtually eliminated as well. Can we do a quick case study? Yeah, I, I, cause I, I want to, I think I want to paint a picture because when I've seen some of the numbers, you know, cause I have some friends, some mutual friends here, and this is all they do. And when I, under, you know, when I hear about like the free cash flow that's like truly passive, the numbers get pretty interesting. So maybe can we do a case study on the gentleman selling a 20 unit? What is like the NOI look like on the apartment building? And with the understanding that that's like a full-time job, you know, it's very hands-on to like the dollar, dollar generals. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Passive, like just a quick, so like I, high level numbers. Yeah. So I don't hold me to it. Cause yeah. I'm not exactly sure, yeah. uh, on the exit, but yeah. you know, I think he's selling it like at 5% or lower on cap rate, that actual, he's on yeah. actual, on actual, yeah. And he's trading into a portfolio in the mid sevens. So his cash flow is going to go up considerably. Um, and you know, there's about six, seven years of lease term on these deals. And so you have that stability and, and, and they're, you know, well-located properties um, in major markets. Right. Um, so his cash flow is going to go up considerably and his headaches are going to go down. So he's trading out of a five cap. He's selling something at a five cap oh, that, where he's covering all the insurance, all the taxes, all the maintenance and dealing with all the headaches. Right. So it sounds like he's pretty hands-on management style. If he's getting the phone call from the AC breakdown, brutal place to be. I've been there. Not fun. So he's getting out of that and buying a seven cap of dollar seven generals. Seven and a half cap. Seven and a half cap. I don't a understand family, why I didn't uh, see this deal. A family. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So dollar generals. Triple, yeah. so is that family a dollars net? and dollar trees. They're yeah. double nets. Double nets. So he is going to have some maintenance, but it's not going to be as intense. Correct. But they're covering the insurance and the taxes. Correct. So, and most of the maintenance to the buildings. Most of the maintenance. So maybe it's parking lot, foundation, something HVAC, like that. you know, there's caps on repairs. So I think it's like if the parking lots uh, needs over $5,000, then he, you right. know, covers the 
so he's getting a 250 basis po- basis point premium on what he's selling his multifamily asset at to what he's going to get in return. And what unlevered kind of, too. Yeah. Unlevered. Oh yeah, unlevered. Because but he's with leverage, it's right. you know it he's even hitting double it more. digits. Yeah. Yes. So talk to us. One of the things I'd be interested to understand is. So in multifamily, typically we're seeing between 70 and 75% leverage of total cost, right? So we're buying a building. There's some renovations. How much to did make. you say? 70. 70 to 75 of total cost. We're somewhere in the range of like three and a half percent, five-year fix, 30-year AM. That's down the ballpark, down the yeah. middle of the fairway. So what are you seeing from banks that are underwriting like a dollar general, right? That's a seven and a half. What kind of leverage and what do the terms look like? Just to compare for multi So the, the term, the fixed term of the loan will kind of be dependent upon the term of the lease. They like to be, you know, somewhat coterminous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. So a seven-year, so if I have a dollar general that has seven years left, they're going to, a bank. You're probably looking like at five or seven-year loan. Fixed. Okay. But what about like a 20-year lease? Like they're so not on a 20-year lease, you, you know, you're getting 10-year money. Okay. But, you know, on the LTB, assuming it's a credit-worthy tenant, um, you know, you're looking at 70, 75%. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, you're looking at rates in the, you know, today on November, what, 16th, are we? Um, you're looking at rates in the high threes, low fours, very, very low fours, um, and, and perhaps even lower than, you know, high threes, depending upon the tenant type and the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so still pretty aggressive. Pretty comparable. Yeah, pretty comparable. Like, yes. yes. Maybe a little bit higher. So yeah, I mean that seems like a great trade. If you can sell an apartment building where you're hands-on and the apartment's outdated, and then get into a seven and a half cap. So talk about the risk thing because it sounds like there's a ton of upside there. The risk is that Dollar General in seven years will not renew, and then he has to fill that building. Is that the downside then? That's to- the that's the risk in the deal, and understanding that risk and mitigating that risk. You know, by some of the things that we had talked about earlier, understanding you know, the location. Yeah, understanding the location. You know, trying to get an idea and sense as to how this store is performing. You know, uh, typically we like to tell people if you're doing a property visit and you talk to the store manager, usually you get a good idea as to what's going on uh, right. in, in terms of that store's performance. Um, so you know, trying to best understand how that store is doing and, and how it fits in the long-term plans for the tenant is, is, is the key in minimizing that risk. Super interesting. So with, with where you of guys course, sit, also, sorry to cut you off yeah. with four, you're kind of a little bit diversified, right? You know, if, if one of them goes out, you still have the three and then you're only retaining one property. Right. Yeah. Is that how often people look at as like they've like, you know, because with multifamily, you know, one of the pros there is, hey, I've got 10 units. If one or two go vacant, I still got eight paying my paying rent. Is that kind of mentality for all like single tenant investors? Hey, if I buy four, okay. Not really, because generally speaking, you know, you're looking at a long-term lease to a strong tenant and it's something you could pretty much bank on that every month you're getting that check for the, you know, foreseeable future. It's not necessarily something to think about. Um, once you own the property, you know, you want to do your due diligence up front going in to make sure, you know, does this tenant have the wherewithal to pay, you know, my rent is, you know, maybe it's a franchisee and maybe they're loaded with debt and, you know, maybe they're in a business that's, you know, struggling right now. Maybe it's a casual dining restaurant, you know, then that's maybe something you'd want to consider. But generally speaking, you know, when we're helping clients get into these deals, the idea is that, you're getting this money every month and it, it's a steady and stable deal for you, you know, into the future. You know, you guys are working on some big deals with some big name brands and some big clients. You know, what, what have you guys seen, you know, the last couple of years and what, you know, what trends do you see happening 
in Denver and Colorado. I mean, do you see Denver with all the money being poured into by these by these uh, companies? I mean, do you what kind of trajectory do you put on if you guys were going to you know say hey if I had a pile of cash like where would I be putting it? Like, what do you guys see in terms of like the activity on a national level, uh, Denver compared to the rest of the country? Mm-hmm. I mean, through through COVID. Um, I think it kind of accelerated some business models that, you know, weren't going to be here long-term instead of three to five years, COVID accelerated it to three and a three to five months, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's JC pennies or, you know, uh, sporting goods. So, you know, over the last year, we've seen, there's kind of a, a flight to quality mm-hmm. investors mm-hmm. are chasing properties that are deemed essential that were open during COVID and have been pay- paying rent. So majority of the deals that we're seeing are at least deals that have had the largest cap rate compression or what investors are wanting are properties that were deemed essential and did well during the pandemic. Those types of properties are convenience stores, drug stores, dollar stores, auto parts, grocery stores. Fast food restaurants. Yeah, and people are willing to, to pay up for those. On the flip side, if you own a AMC or a, a gym, you know, there's probably a buyer out there, but you're going to have to discount it because there's some uncertainty and risk long term about kind of where those play in the world. And at least here in Colorado, the tenants that are expanding the most, the gas stations hmm. are really expanding. Um, you know, if you drive around Denver, I mean, there's a new one popping up every corner. Mm-hmm. Majority of the fast food restaurants. Uh, are expanding and some I think, banks and credit unions yeah i think it's interesting too on the fast they're expanding too some are wow. in this market and i it, that that totally surprised me i, I kind of just hijacked it no I, yeah i'm so that just totally yeah. threw a curveball to like what i was thinking well and, and terrence also mentioned you know maybe colorado or denver versus other markets and because the demographics are so strong because the, the growth is here um because some people have you know second homes in the mountains Colorado is a very attractive place on a national level for net lease investors to come. Um, so deals in Colorado are trading at premiums to okay. that of the rest of the country. In fact, we're probably trading at as big of a premium as any state outside of California. Arguably. Wow. Um, because Well, it, hold on. So say that again. Properties in Colorado are trading at as big of a premium as perhaps any state besides Cal- California. Wow. And that's like Colorado or just like Denver and the Springs? Both. Both. Wow. Okay. You know, because the vast majority of the properties are located in the Denver metro in okay. Colorado. But, statement. you know, the rising tide is lifting all ships. Yes, and, yes. And, you know, if you can, you know, write off your trip to your home in Beaver Creek because you stopped by your, uh, you know, your O'Reilly Auto Parts in Colorado. So win-win. So be it. Yeah. Um, Fuel up the jet. Let's go. Let's yeah, go check on it. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So this is really, this has been really great. You know, Chris and I were talking, you know, this is not something that we're really well-versed in. So I could sit here and talk for another couple hours and just learn and, and eat it all up. You know, I think this might be a, like a mini we series. A, we might run a high noon yeah. if we do that. We, yeah, we need we need more high noons. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get better supply later. next yeah. time. <laughs> but um, you know, maybe what I what I'd love to hear about is maybe you know, kind of why you're so passionate about this space. Yeah. You know, from both of you, and you know, maybe what you think your superpower is. Like, what makes you you know the best, and why should people call Blue West to represent them when they're looking for a single tenant deal? Well, I guess first, my superpower. That's a good question. Um, I would say I, I feel like I know the market extremely well. Uh, you know, I grew up here in Westminster, which for the audience is about 20 minutes north of Denver. Uh, you know, 
when I got in the business, I used to take a different route home every, every day from work, just trying to understand, you know, it's a little different than multifamily, uh, at least on the single tenant front, you know, you want to know what's going on on every intersection, right? You know, I'm always looking at, you know, what comps have sold. I feel like I have a good memory, you know, who owned this property? Why did it sell? Uh, you know, who, who bought it, what tenants are expanding, um, you know, track the active development maps. You know, it's big for us to know what areas are growing, where users are going, you know, where's the nearest 7-Eleven or come and go Walgreens. So we, we track that information pretty well. And I feel like we have a, a really good pulse on the market, knowing where uh, all, all the tenants are expanding. And we have some clients who call us and say, Hey, I know quick trips coming in here to town which is a new gas station, where's every location they're going in the mm-hmm. state? And and we know that information. So I think just having a good pulse on the market and uh, I, I guess would be. Yeah. Well, I, love it. I, I think speaking for Brandon and, and certainly for myself and, and the rest of the company, I don't know if there's a superpower, but um, I'd say we're very detail oriented and very hardworking. Um, and I think those two combinate and, and client focus and mm-hmm. client first. Um, so I think though that combination of the three helps us uh, get the best results for our clients. If we're representing, you know, someone on the sell side or representing the buy side, I think those qualities, um, you know, help get you to where you want to be. Um, so I think that kind of answers the white yeah. blue quest, blue west, and superpower. I think I'd also add, you know, for blue west, we're just a boutique brokerage firm here in town. You know, we all work together. You know, some of the national shops, nothing, you know, against them, but you might just have one person working on the deal. For example, Zach and I sit next to each other. We're in each other's office all day. He knows about my deals. We have team meetings. The whole company knows about your deals. So there's kind of more of a team environment and we're all, you know, working together for the common goal. And I would also say, you know, we we just shoot our clients straight. You know, I had a conversation with a guy the other day, owned a trophy Chick-fil-A here in Colorado. I told him there's no reason for you to sell this. What what are you going to trade into that's a better property than this long term? So I think, you know, in the short term, being straightforward and honest, you know, might not get as you as many deals, but it's how you build the relationships mm-hmm. and kind of lays the foundation. Cause this is, you know, a long, a long game. Mm-hmm. We've got many years to go. Yeah. We're young. So we're, we're playing the long game. So boy, I, one, as you were talking, Brandon, one question popped in my mind. Cause I know, like, you know, for apartment buildings, all that you know, just they trade off market, majority of them trade off market. When it comes to like single tenant deals, do they mostly trade off market? Or are they- Great question. Yeah, I just have no idea. Like how do they trade? How do you find out about them? How do clients, investors get access to them? Right now, there's very few available deals out there. And when we're hired to sell a property, assuming, you know, it's, it's a good property, we are getting double digit offers on these deals. Um, and, and so when, and I guess when he says a good property, that's a new construction investment grade or tenant, it's priced to pr- or it's not priced overly aggressively. So a realistic like, seller. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we've priced this. We like to price things aggressively, but, you know, it's priced aggressive, but not too aggressive where, you know, we, we just look stupid with a deal that's overpriced by 200 basis points. Yeah, yeah. But the market right now, there's such demand for this product right now. And the supply is fairly limited, certainly not enough to support the demand. And so it's very common on our deals, you know, particularly those in Colorado, that we're having 20 plus offers to choose from on the sell side. So 
because the market right now is so dynamic, it is so competitive, a lot of deals are being done off market where developers may provide us, you know, uh, their pipeline, um, or we may have some, you know, connections with REITs or private family offices that, you know, I don't want to go through the charade of marketing this right now, but bring me a buyer um, and I'd sell. So we're doing mm-hmm. a lot of deals. I'd say maybe almost right now, almost half of the deals that we're doing are originating off market where we have access to an inventory of available properties through our connections, you know, across the country and in Colorado with various developers, REITs, funds, or private investors. Um, and we're able to, you know, uh, put deals together through that way. So, so is so the, hit is, us up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I just want to the side of the coin is, is the public market. Is that like kind of like, is that LoopNet or what's the equivalent? Cause I know multifamily, you know, LoopNet's more the public. Like- There's LoopNet, but you know, it seems the most prevalent one right now is Crexy. Uh, okay. People are finding the single tenant deals. That's for a lot of, okay. But yeah. by the time, you know, if there's a good deal out there. Oh, it's gone, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, four or five offers yeah. on that deal right away. So unless you're, you know, the first to see it and, and track in daily, you know, that pro- that deal might be spoken for um, by the time you see it. And I think I would also add, he said, um, you know, there's a lack of supply of quality deals out there. Part of the reason that is, is during COVID, a lot of these national tenants, Starbucks, O'Reilly Auto Parts, 7-Eleven, there was so much uncertainty on what the world was going to look like where, you know, current deals they had in the pipeline that they're working through the development process, uh, they either put on hold or just terminated. So there, there's a lag in the current supply given a lot of deals got terminated last year. And now tenants are kind of back in the saddle looking to do new deals, uh, and that's just kind of why there's a, a lack of supply out there. So if you do have a brand new construction, 7-Eleven or Sherwin-Williams or Starbucks, I mean, there's there's a lot of people looking for those properties right now. Guys, this is this has been great. We'll definitely do, uh, I think, as Terrence said, a, a mini-series into a deep dive. I've got a list of questions that will not make it through in this podcast that we'll save for later. But what I, I've enjoyed getting to know you guys, you know, throughout the year, and I love just the expertise. You guys are, you know, just hyper-focused, but also just the collaboration you do with like the other asset classes of the owners. Like, hey, you you, you actively collaborate with the uh, agent and the buyer selling their single family portfolio, their multifamily. I think that collaboration Absolutely. is so essential to make sure that, hey, the left hand, the right hand knows what, uh, knows what it's doing. So I, I love that about you guys and your model here at Blue West Capital. So as you wrap up here, what's a great way for people to get a hold of you to learn more about it, to run a deal by it, to explore options? Like how do I get a hold of you, you two guys? www.bluewestcapital.com. I love it. <laughs> and we'll put the show notes in there. Yeah. LinkedIn or whatever you, you guys. Yeah, we'll put that in the I show mean, we notes. Got, we have LinkedIn. You can go to yeah. our, our team page, all of our contact. But what's the one there. best spot? Just just reach out on the website or LinkedIn or email, probably. Okay. Email or email call. or Call my cell phone. Okay. Yeah, put cool. the cell on there, Chris. All right. <laughs> I'm available. All right. We'll do that. So text you at 2 a.m., right? There you go. Right? That's the that's the best time. Guys, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed learning about this. I feel like we just scratched the surface. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having us.